Happy freaking new year, my friends. And what better way to start off a new year than with, well, I guess it's not a new show anymore. It's been out a little while. It still feels new to me. It still feels fresh and exciting to me. And it is a new episode of the Mark Claire show. Welcome back. So pleased to have you here. And I'm so pleased to have still continuing with me here in 2023, our amazing sponsors at Fox and Sons Coffee. No lie. I'm drinking it right now. It's Friday morning as I record this and I'm trying to get all my work out of the way so I can enjoy the New Year's, enjoy my celebrations, have fun with family and friends, etc. And what's going to get me through this day of work? It's this Fox and Sons Coffee, the Den Blend Dark. That's the one I like. That's the one I prefer. I think he has a new Costa Rican blend of some kind now. There's all sorts of awesome, fresh, incredible coffee beans available over at foxandsons.com. And that's not all, my friends. Of course, you got to use discount code. The discount code is MCS from the Mark Claire Show. Discount code MCS gets you 15% off your order. Again, head over to Fox and Sons, F-O-X, the letter N-S-O-N-S, foxandsons.com. Grab yourself some of this incredible coffee. I have a subscription. I have a huge bag, a two-pound bag that comes to my house every month. That's how much I love this coffee. That's no blowing smoke. So please do head over to foxandsons.com. When you support my sponsors, you support me. So... I'm going to ask you just, if you enjoy coffee like I do, check out a bag, get one bag, get yourself a bag, just like one person is going to do today. At the end of this show, I'm going to announce the winner of a two-pound bag, a three-pound bag, uh, which was a result of a raffle that you could have entered if only you had left a five-star rating and a great review for the Mark Claire Show on Apple Podcasts. You can still do that. I would still appreciate it if you do that. In fact, it's the easiest and cheapest and most effective way to help this show besides, obviously, sending money, which you can do, of course, Patreon, Subscribestar, Rockfin. I have just been overwhelmed by the positive response and the amount of support I've gotten for this show in a very short time, in just about two months. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of support and it's been just increasing every single month. So I'm just grateful to, to all of you. If you're here listening to this right now, watching this, whatever it may be, I'm so grateful for your time because that's the most valuable commodity that we have. And the fact that you have taken your time out of your day and many of you taking money out of your pockets to help me do this show, which is so valuable to me. Um, it, I, I can't even put words on it. So I thank, I thank every single one of you, even if you're hate watching me right now, you're, you're still watching. All right. So you're still giving me your time. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Hope you all have a great new year. And now that being said, it is time to enjoy this conversation, this excellent conversation with my friend, Jason Rink. Welcome back to the Mark Claire show. With me today, he is a documentary filmmaker uh, responsible for the series, the docu-series Q Sent Me, as well as a documentary called The Most Cancelled Man in America. We'll discuss both of those a little bit today. Uh, he is also well-known uh, to me for buying me tacos and some margaritas and giving me some Q Shaman socks when I was recently in Austin, Texas. Pleased to welcome Jason Rank. Jason, welcome to my show. What's up, man? Dude, I love the opening animation. Uh, I pretty much just great. run that for you for the guests because so many people have complimented it that now I just run it for the compliments. It's, it's a constant <laughs> fish. <It's laughs> I love it. I love it. It's very, very much sums up 
your the essence of what you're doing here with that. Yes. So it's yes. great. I like to think so. I like to think so. But um, you know, Jason, with with your story, you know, I had you on Lions of Liberty. I think you maybe in the last sometime in that last year that, that I was doing that show. Yeah. Um, and we talked a lot about your experiences in the Stop the Steal movement. Um, the your and your the I think at the time you were you hadn't put it out yet, but you were working on the documentary uh, about the Q Shaman. So um. I'll just tell people they can go find that interview still on Lions Liberty to kind of refresh them to where you are now. I don't think we need to recap all that. It still exists in the same podcast universe, yes. you might say. Um, but I'll let you pick it up from wherever you want. Um, and and sort of leading us into uh, the subject matter of this docuseries that you have out right now. I think you have another episode dropping January 6th about this character who most people might not even know who he is by name, but everybody will recognize him at this point. It's the Q Shaman, the guy with the horns and and, uh, um, and the helmet and going about and having some fun in the Capitol. So how did you first come into contact with this person and how did you decide to make a whole documentary series uh, centered around them? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So, you know, it, it, it all started in a Hooters in Georgia. Uh, as it, most, as <laughs> most great things do. Yes. That's, that's the funny part is I, um, when the, uh, stop the steel movement kicked off, right, right after the 2020 election, I just, I saw what was happening with the like protest movement. I was like, this seems like, uh, you know, uh, tea party, but more anti-establishment vibes or something. And so I found it interesting. I connected with Ali Alexander, who was the guy organizing the stop the steal movement. I I've actually read that he's a white supremacist, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, he is. He looks just like uh, Sammy Davis <laughs> Jr., but also a white supremacist. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I didn't know Ali. I connected with him on Twitter, said, hey, we want to come document what you're doing. He said, well, let's meet up in Georgia and talk about it. So I met him in a Hooters. He made sure that, uh, you know, uh, we weren't going to just try to do some like hit piece on on the Stop the Steal movement and uh, started sort of filming with him. And we were just behind the scenes, riding in the cars, you know, like with the security detail, going to all the different cities. And and honestly, me and my filmmaking partner, Paul Escondone, we were just like uh, trying to figure out what was going on, like what was happening, why were people there? Um, and that thing started to get its own momentum over those weeks and months. And, you know, kept being, it was just rally after rally across multiple cities. And that whole journey obviously led us to be filming on January 6th, which really was just another stop the steel rally slash uh, Trump's final speech as president. And um, so, you know, during that journey, as we're filming for what what was going to be a documentary called The Steel, which we may still release in the future, um, we met this guy in Arizona and then interviewed him in December who was just sort of a strange guy used to beat on a drum out in front of government buildings and protest with a bullhorn. And so we interviewed him and, and that guy was, was Jacob Chansley or Jake, uh, Jake Angeli known as the Q shaman. Uh, but, but that first interview we had with him was in December of 2020. And most people didn't come to see who this guy was until January. And so when we were at the Capitol uh, or in, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, and his image hit the Internet, uh, we had his cell phone number. Uh, we were like, OK, we got to interview this guy and get his story about going to the Capitol. And so we sat down with him on the morning of January 7th. And that would end up being one of the only unfiltered sit down interviews he would give because he found himself in jail 48 hours later and has been there ever since. So once we got that interview, we were like, well, we've got kind of an interesting exclusive here. Let's dig deeper. And we decided to do an entire feature. Well, it's a doc series now 
called Q sent me, which is really a story of January 6th and the, the aftermath of Jan 6th, but using the Q shaman is like our protagonist to tell the tale. Now, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a like a Q101 because there's probably a lot of uh, people out there who have heard about the Q stuff, um, might just say it's some dumb like conspiracy rabbit hole. Um, just what is your impression of of the Q movement overall? And then maybe you can get into more about uh, Jake specifically. What is your motivation? Just what you got uh, a sense of about their motivations? What was motivating them? Um, I'm sure there's a some broad range uh, amongst individuals there, but what's your overall sense of, of why people were all hyped up around centered around this Q thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I've got a lot of thoughts about that. Number one, I, I will say the title of the film Q sent me is based off of a sign that Jake used to carry around. So he used to carry a sign at all these different rallies and it said Q sent me on the front of it. So that was his declaration of like, what he was up to, right? He's like, Q sent me to bring this message to the world, right? So that's where the title come from, comes from. The film itself isn't necessarily a deep dive into QAnon, though we talk about it. Um, but there definitely was a strong uh, uh, contingent of, of QAnon believers that made up the Stop the Steal movement. And specifically, um, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a microcosm of the larger conspiracy contingent of Trump's people. And one thing that I really, really learned and I think is, is, is instructive is, you know, I was involved in Ron Paul's campaign in 2008, 2012. And then when, when Trump came on the scene, I, I recognized that there were some people who were Ron Paulers that I knew who were involved in the Ron Paul campaigns of 08 and 2012 that were now like Trump people. And it kind of took me off guard because I was like a libertarian and the Fed, Austrian economics, Mises, mm -hmm. Ron Paul guy. But what I came to discover, and this was as I started to look deeper into who Trump was and, and what he did, was, you know, Trump did something very similar to what Ron Paul did in that he was running against the system. He was the guy who was like the none of the above candidate, the anti-establishment candidate. Right. Uh, Ron Paul was not welcome within the Republican or the Democrat establishment. And in the same way, when Trump ran, he couldn't run on his like list of National Review approved policy <laughs> positions or, you know, even being a good Republican all those years, because that's not the case. So he's like, hey, I, there's a swamp. I'm going to drain it. There is an establishment. I'm going to go against it. The system's rigged against you. I'm going to fix it. And so he drew to himself all of the anti-establishment, uh, anti-deep state, anti-globalist, whatever it is, people that, that really span left and right. And it turns out a lot of them are also down the conspiracy rabbit hole or a, a bigger percentage than you will find in a normal Mitt Romney campaign, right? Just the... Uh one of the fascinating things to me about Trump is that he was able to effectively run a campaign like that while being clearly a billionaire who clearly benefited from the existence of the system and admitting that when asked, that is what always blew me away because he would get these questions and debates. Well, like you're critical of the tax system, but here you are, you didn't pay taxes here. He's like, 
Yeah, I know. I used it. To, and I, that's how I know, because I did it. Yeah. it was, and he would unabashedly. And it's just, there's something to that. And I think that is part of what the appeal to him as well is because say what you will about him. When he said stuff like that, he triggered that same thing that Ron Paul were triggered, where you felt like this guy's maybe he's not giving me the full truth, but he's giving me a, gl- a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that is something that can really rile people up when done at the right juxtaposition of the stars and, and what have you. Yeah. And, 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 in case anybody's confused, you know, my comparison to of Trump to Ron Paul is really just in that anti-establishment mold, right? They're very different as far as who they are and their their policies and like their integrity Personal or whatever. Probably too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, not many porn stars. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone's accusing Ron Paul. Yeah. Ron Paul of, you know, hanging out with Stormy Adams. Yeah, though Ron Paul Stormy is, Adams, he, he is he is a pimp in his own right, of course, Ron Paul is. But yes. you know. Uh but yeah, so so when when you when you throw that sort of anti-establishment energy and you you bring in the level of people who are tend to be sort of conspiracy thinkers into the mix. Um, you're going to have uh, a lot of different uh, unusual beliefs and ideas in there, and I'm not even disagreeing with most of them, right? I think a lot of things that are called conspiracy theories, I probably subscribe to a good handful of them. But when it comes to QAnon, what was interesting about that is you had sort of this uh, uh, collaborative drop of of so so you would call it like almost the Q the Q scriptures almost right, and you had. These this congregation, this decentralized online cult of people who, number one, during a season of this, were locked in their houses, not going to churches, not able to meet, you know, during COVID, like going down internet rabbit rabbit trails. Um, a lot of a lot of them, frankly, in the boomer Gen X age range, okay. And um, you know, they QAnon ends up being kind of a Golden Corral salad bar of conspiracy ideas threaded together with this narrative that there's this sort of um, white hat uh, group of good guys within the system that are leaking, you know, top secret information and and sort of the plans that are happening behind the scenes, the 4D chess. And, you know, uh, for whatever reason, people gravitated towards this and you know, went along with this where, um, you know, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of run of the mill ideas in there. I mean, it's like pedophile elites run the world. Okay. That's not a new idea. And, you know, the globalist, uh, central bank and world bank, it's like one oh one level stuff here, you know, yeah. We, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. The <laughs> distinction is that there was sort of this organized or this central figure who was putting out these mysterious Q drops and mm-hmm. people were sort of coming together to like determine what, what was meant and, you know, assigning value to them as, as things would come true or whatever. And I'm not a Q expert, but what I will say is like part of the reason I didn't become a Q person was because I felt like what I started to see was that this was more of a, of an operation or COINTELPRO mm-hmm. or it was, it was being used to neutralize the grassroots really to get people to sort of lean back and be like, well, we don't know what the plan is, but we're going to trust it. And we do think this thing is going to to work. All things are going to work out for the good of those that trust Q. And I think that that is a, a that's a mistake. And it was something that um, was used also to, to throw some red herrings around, um, around the election where it was like, oh, hey, don't pay attention to 
the laws that were changed unconstitutionally or the chain of custody, pay attention to the servers in Germany and the mm. Dominion stuff and this and that. That was sort of the unprovable um, outlandish stuff. And it also, so that brought sort of a, you know, a negative connotation or it discredited what I think were a lot of the actual provable election interference problems. And it's interesting because the, the Dominion stuff is actually part, that's like kind of, isn't that part of what Trump's people put forward as what they were trying to like go to court with on, on some of that stuff? I, I could be wrong, but I believe that that was, that was part yeah, of it. Yeah, well, what you have is you had some people that really got into Trump's inner circle during this time, especially post-election, you know, uh, from my experience, who are on the message boards all night, like yeah. with with red eyes and coming into meetings with Trump the next day. Yeah, well, I mean, from from my experience and what I understand, I haven't interviewed these two people, but you know, I think Mike Flynn was pretty much a Q guy, and um, uh, Sidney Powell Q, and Lynn Wood. So you had some figures who were actually more some of the more outrageous figures, and with Flynn, you have a guy who is actually part of the military, right? So it's like that brings some credibility to it or whatever. And so, but I think they're actually, they were kind of, they were Q believers and, you know, they were the ones who were pushing some of these, these theories that I'm not saying dominion machines aren't problematic or whatever, but it's like, when it comes down to what can you actually prove? What can you actually file a court case on? What can you actually hang your hat on? Um, it was, it was the, the more QAnon inspired theories and ideas that I think brought discredited, the entire stop the steal movement largely because we know they changed a bunch of laws so like that might be a place to start where they changed a bunch of laws challenge whether they should have done that challenge whether that's legal i mean that just seems like a logical place to go without starting in wilder could possibly be true but not as provable conspiracy land so that seems like even even the stop the steal movement was sort of led astray so it kind of seems like q to me um is almost like a way to rally or corral a lot of the energy away from something productive and into this into this other thing which we can also then lump into oh well now you're now you're terrorist because of this event that occurred as well yeah and i do think i do think there's uh, a reason to really understand a lot of what happened post 2020 election um, where I think the government was really trying to identify and track as many dissidents as they possibly could. And I think they did that through the stop the steal movement, January 6th. I think that it's likely that the government kind of has a record of all, any person who attended January 6th and is like part of the, the soft database of, you know, dissident, you know, citizens. Right. I think that, I mean, um, if they had their phones on them, they have the data. And, and, like, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they used that to actually capture and, and prosecute some people. And so, you know, I, I think that there were, and, and we now know that within Oath Keepers and Proud Boys and some other organizations, there were, were federal agents, um, you know. So the point of the story is, is that I, for me, Q, QAnon and the Q belief system, I think was whether it started this way ended up being a a an operation or disinfo operation that was used to sort of discredit sideline and and destroy a lot of the good things that were happening through the real stop the steal movement that Ali was running which was what he said bodies in the streets like human pro humans protesting their representatives at capitals across the country in solidarity around election integrity um, you would have been 
It, though, though you would find some of these QAnon speakers at Stop the Steal events, I would say that the the large portion of the people that I would consider sort of the real leaders of the Stop the Steal movement were not QAnon people. So one thing um, with the whole QAnon movement that I often think about with this stuff, like it's like I wonder how how real it was in the sense of. How how close was there actually real people close to Trump that were involved in this? Because to me, that there was a number of incidents where it was like, you know, like the, the one that always comes to mind is Tippity Top. There's the one that came out where he said, "Well, tonight in Trump's speech, he's going to say." the phrase tippity top and then sure enough that night right. friends he said something like we're gonna take it to the tippity top right. and that could be like a low level staffer that has access to his speech you know it doesn't have right. to be like a high level person necessarily but there was enough incidents like that that it seems to me that there that q is somewhat real in a sense that there was some real seemingly legitimate type of intel being put out now whether it was being put out for a good purpose or a distracted purpose is a totally another story um obviously it didn't really lead anywhere productive but i'm just curious your thoughts on i guess the veracity of q not in terms of if it was actually leading them where where the q people would say they were but just in terms of its real connections to trump and other intelligence yeah i mean i i think it it's sort of like the what you're insinuating or, or maybe what you're pointing to is like that, that, that wherever these Q drops were coming from and whoever that was hap originating from had to have had some sort of, uh, access or yeah. influence within the Trump cabinet and whatever. And I'm not going to say that that, I mean, that probably is true. And, what I do is I like measure Q on its fruits. Right. <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. you know, you had most people who were, you know, hardcore QAnon were like, yeah, yeah. Trump's still going to be inaugurated, you know, on the 21st or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and some of them are still there, holding out. Still put, putting around like, Oh, here's the, the meeting of the tribunals and they're going to like, it's like, all right, you got to really let this go. Yeah. And I mean, who knows, Mark, like Trump could become president be again wrong. between now and 2024. I don't know, but it's like, it's like, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's very muddy. I think it's, it's, it's hard, hard to, and I also think that there are people very close to Trump who were, you know, not, didn't have his best interests or the MAGA movement's interests in mind. And so, you know, I have, I have, you know, I think a lot of the intelligence agencies, you know, for example, um, you know, they're infiltrated with people who were uh, opposing Trump, you know, and, you know, uh, so it's like, hey, was it really intelligence people and they're in Trump's administration and they're being used to like neutralize and like discredit the movement because they're actually operating against Trump's like, it's really hard to say. So I guess that I guess the clarifier is like, hey, there was something real to it. But by real, you know, the question is like, what what are the fruits? And I think the fruits are you've you've got a, a government controlled by the Biden administration, a red wave that didn't really happen. And uh, so, you know, and I, I would say in a lot of ways, like MAGA, you know, is weaker than it's ever been in some senses right now. Um, so if we're, if we're trusting the plan, dude, like, you know, I need another solid Q drop to get me, uh, back on board, something, something very Edgar Casey prophecy or, you know, whatever I need something, something powerful. So, yeah. Um, 
you mentioned MAGA a few times, and I think there's so many cross sections here: MAGA overlapping with Q, overlapping with Stop the Steal, and and to the common passerby, which I don't know if I really have common passerbys listening, but to the common passerby, um, you know, a lot of this stuff is associated with what the, what they see as negative, even if they're not the uh, the kind of person to to yell white supremacist at everyone, or I mean, just normal regular people can automatically associate this stuff um, with just anger, hate. Um, well, you know, not that many positive things, but I'm curious what your experience was having interacted with so many people that were parts of those of that movement, those movements, however you want to sort of define them. Um, what were your impressions of the the people themselves and um, their motivations for for being involved in this in the first place? Yeah, I mean, there was quite a cross section. So, you know, I, I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. I did vote for Trump in 2020. Um, and that 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 was not because I was like, a total uh, make America great again, uh, red hat wearing supporter at that point. I saw Trump as like maybe a stop the bleeding, buy some time candidate, um, recognizing that like the left's control over all the institutions and communication and media and academia and all that was going to be more dangerous for like my personal freedom and liberty. And so Trump was like a tourniquet, you know, I was like, well, let's just try to do that. Um, and so, but this tourniquet might have slept with a porn star. Yeah, I, I don't know. care. With I'm I just know. trying to live, dude. Yeah, like. he told him to grab him by the you know what. So <laughs> it's like, um, so for me, when I went to start follow stop the steal, I was I was pretty cold to like MAGA the MAGA movement, MAGA supporters. I didn't really know any, you know, or that many. I mean, and so, uh, but that's partially because I just don't have very many friends. So anyway, I go out and follow stop the steal, and I'm surrounded by people of all ages all races, all belief systems. I mean, definitely trends towards Christian conservative more, but then you had guys like Brandon Straka in there who was part of the le- leading the movement, which he he formed an organization called the Walk Away Campaign, which he had like a half a million Democrats on his Facebook page that had decided to go for Trump in 2020. He was He's like a gay Democrat, you know, um, ran into people like Ali Alexander, who, you know, is, is definitely a dissident figure. You know, he's, he's not white, you know, he was involved in, in election integrity stuff for a number of years, kind of a background political operator who I didn't know, Roger Stone, of course, um, Alex Jones, Nick Fuentes and the America first movement, which I knew nothing about until I encountered Nick on the stop the steel trail and started meeting people who were, a part of that. And I was like, wow, this is a very interesting group of young, predominantly young men, multiracial, uh, but many Catholics. Um, and I was like, well, what's this? And so it was, it, 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 the, the MAGA movement was in many ways kind of a melting pot of, you know, what I would say are just sort of dissident voices. You know, Alex Jones brings a lot of interesting people to the table and you know and it was and 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 we would we would be at these rallies and they would be chanting fox news sucks and i was like you know i remember when uh you know uh ron paulers were like fox news sucks right when when ron paul supporters hit sean hannity with snowballs you know but like to see what it what you would consider the the main base of the Republican Party in many ways saying Fox News sucks that was interesting that there was the anti-interventionist anti-war vibe that of Republicans seeing that Afghanistan was like a grift you know so there were there were things in that in that dimension of it which really made me recognize like okay this isn't just a Republican 
this isn't just a bunch of Republicans. This is sort of the the dissident faction of the Republicans, and they're the ones who put Trump in the White House in, in a big way in 2016. And so I came away from the experience and still have this experience where it's like any anybody who is interested in seeing more individual liberty and freedom happen in, in America, they've got to find a way to join forces with the MAGA wing of the Republican Party in order to defeat the deep state and the establishment, not to, not to, and I'm speaking to libertarians here, not to see them as just like, you know, a wing of the same bird of prey. It's just not true. Um, and now to the degree that MAGA may be getting co-opted by, you know, establishment forces and DeSantis possibility moving forward, uh, or that Trump is going to be a softer version of 2016 Trump as he becomes the candidate, or if you're going to see some MAGA forces come behind, yay, if he does declare a candidacy, as crazy as that might sound. So all of this to say, I think that the MAGA base is still really one of the most important and powerful you know, political bases out there. And it's got numerous factions within it that are very interesting. And it's hard to have one message to deliver to them. So do, do you think the MAGA movement at this point is somewhat disassociated from Trump? That doesn't mean it couldn't be associated with Trump, but is it something that exists sort of independently now that might be conjoined with Trump, but could be could go in a totally different direction and might even become anti-Trump? Because I, I mean, I think we've heard it at a rally or two where Trump his one thing that he likes to do is promote how great this thing he did with Operation Warp Speed, getting those <laughs> vaccines out there. And that just does not seem to go over well with that MAGA base. So I am curious how you see all this playing out. And like you said, like, I mean, all I saw was the one speech so far a few weeks ago, and it, it it fell very flat to me. It did not feel like the the MAGA Trump at all. Yeah, that that's the thing is I think you've got a lot of of people who are influential voices within like this sort of wing of Republicanism who are not endorsing Trump or are not fully in on board and are looking at all alternatives. And I really think right now it's breaking down to like Trump, DeSantis, or Yay, and I know that sounds crazy, but like part of the part of the wing you have is sort of the you know, people. People forget that like memes and 4chan and all of this stuff was part of what got Trump elected in 2016. Like it was this sort of uh, young energy that came in that I think guys like Nick Fuentes sort of uh, you know uh, bring to it, and and the tens and tens of thousands or even more people that are sort of behind him. And, um, you know, like those people are, are totally disenfranchised with Trump and, and think DeSantis is like establishment. And then you've got people like Mike Cernovich who would have would have been a Trump guy. You know, he's got a million follower Twitter, you know, he's kind of a big voice in Republican or right wing circles, you know, he's totally off the, the Trump train has been criticizing yeah. Trump for a while, you know, calls him a weak leader, recognizes a lot of his his failings and is is lining up behind DeSantis. And so I think Trump's got a real problem as far as galvanizing people behind him. I mean, it's interesting to note that it's only after he had dinner with Ye and Ye talked to him about Jan 6, you know, 
prisoners that Trump puts out like an official video about it. You know, I mean, it's like mm. he he's he, he's being he's having to decide like what direction he's going to go to try to capture the energy of the base. And I think I think it's possible he's not going to be able to do it. And, you know, we're talking about other candidates that haven't even declared yet. It's like DeSantis hasn't even declared. And not that it's not that not that they have to declare by friggin' December of you know, however far we are from this election, but it's, so it's just interesting. I think that mega does exist beyond Trump. I think the, the dissident energy is going to go somewhere and that's what it's really all about. It's the dissident anti-establishment energy of the right, because I don't really think there is an anti-establishment energy on the left anymore. You know, you've got, I just saw Jimmy Dore live here in Austin. He did a stand-up show and Jimmy, Jimmy Dore might be the entirety of the anti-establishment energy on yeah. the left himself. Yeah. And what's crazy is like, he did a freaking hour and so much of it, he was just bashing, you know, COVID Fauci. Like there was only a couple of things you heard in there that, that I went there with Ali Alexander, in fact, <laughs> and Ali had never heard Jimmy Dore. And he's like, whoa, I thought this was going to be way more progressive. And, and so it's just, it's crazy because uh, all of, if you, if you, if you have dissident energy or anti-establishment energy at all, you can't find a vehicle for it within the, the Democrat party anymore. And so I, these are some of the trends within politics that I just think are interesting. And I'm like, who's going to be able to channel it, right? Um, who's the one who can step out there and grab that alignment. And I think, I, I think there's not a clear answer to that right now. Um, unless there's somebody who isn't there, you know, I think, I think it could be a good year for Rand Paul to run, frankly. Um, you know, I don't know what, what he would actually accomplish, but you know, he's got a it's hard to picture him running with Trump already running though. I don't think he wants to have his hair made fun of again. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> it, you know, I think it's going to come down to who actually enters the race. Like who's the first one who's like, I'm going to challenge Trump because then I think you're going to see the dominoes start to fall and you're going to get like guys like Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence and a bunch of people who there's no way they're going to win. But it's like we could enter a situation where we have Trump up against 12 or 13 people again. And, um, you know, there's a real question as to whether or not I mean, he could I, capture that would be the such magic a huge again. mistake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the part of his opponents, I mean, yeah. his, I mean, the only chance you have against Trump is rallying one guy against him. Cause yeah. if you're dividing him against 11, yeah, it's over. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm an armchair, you know, political quarterback, you know, I, I don't know why I, I wish I wasn't, I wish I had better. You've been on do. libertarian podcast. That's enough. That's you don't need any more credit. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's what I see happening. And, and I think, um, I think it's just interesting, um, to, to watch and, uh, but that energy is going somewhere. It's just a question of who's going to lead it in 2024. And, and the answer is very unclear right now. Right. And whether or not it gets dispersed to the point of ineffectiveness, I guess, I guess would be yep. you know, the, sto the story to watch there. Um, now, you've mentioned him a few times. So I don't want to bury the lead too much, <laughs> but I'm going to bury it for a little bit more because we're going we're to talk about Ye in a minute. But first, I want to talk about uh, how you got to Ye, because most people have probably by now seen or not really seen Ye. He's wearing the, the Balenciaga mask or whatever on Alex Jones show. Um, I mean, the clips are still going around. The memes are still going around. Um, 
Well, maybe we can start with one thing that you can confirm for sure, because you were his ride to that show. Yes. So can you first confirm it was actually yay behind that mask? Because a lot of people are saying, how do we even know it yes. was him? Yes. Well, we got an eyewitness. Yes, that is 100% confirmed <laughs> that it was him. Um, now, it could be a clone. I suppose the original yay you met could have been a clone. But that's a deeper, you know, that's a deep. That one. is possible. But the one I was riding with was like spouting verses off the dome from the airport. <laughs> and I was like, oh, those are pretty sick bars. So I think it was <laughs> yay. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, the, the way that I that was so. So what happened is I did pick him up from the airport in Austin. And then I was I drove to the Alex Jones studio the next day with him and spent the day at Alex Jones studio while that live broadcast was going down. And so I watched that happen in real time, just like the rest of the world, uh, but was also sort of behind the scenes involved in the conversations that were going on when they were off air. And um, the first thing I want to say is I'd never met yay before. Um, I, I ended up picking up yay and Nick Fuentes from a private airstrip. And I had Ali Alexander in the car. So it was like when you go to talk about a cast of characters, right? And um, the way this came up really was was um, I had taken Ali to go see the Jimmy Dore show a couple weeks earlier. So he knew I had a nice vehicle. I have a Jeep Gladiator, very new, Rubicon. And um, and Ali has known Ye for a while and um, had been talking behind the scenes during the whole developments of Nick and Milo and the whole thing that came together where yay ended up sort of um, making some news over the course of the last couple of weeks. And so uh, when he was coming to Austin to do the Alex Jones show, Ali called me up and he was like, Hey man, can I borrow your truck? <laughs> and <laughs> you can meet yay. And I'm like, I'm in. So that's literally how it happened. And then uh, I ultimately just said, well, why don't I just drive you guys around? for the next there day go, and a half. Better, right? <laughs> and um, so that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up uh, grabbing him from the airport and, and I had about 18 hours of, of interesting excursions during that time. Wait, so there was like a whole day and night that passed before the show. So how, how much were you hanging out with yay and Nick and, and Ali like during that time? Yeah. So, you know, I, I know Ali and Nick pretty well to this point because, you know, of the documentaries and we put out a documentary on Nick. And so, um, you know, I, I would say this, it's not like I just had a nice car, but you know, I also have the trust of Ali and Nick in that I have sure. NDAs with both of them because of the projects we're working on. So it's like, they know they can trust me. And so, um, so yeah, so, um, I picked, I picked them up in the evening at like uh, 11 and we were going, we were taking them over to their hotel. And, you know, one of the first funny things that happened is we were about 10 minutes from the airport and uh, Ye was hungry and he's like, well, let's go to the Waffle House. And there was a Waffle House right on the other side of the street. And I'm like, OK, like, let's see what happens here. And so <laughs> we, we circle around, we roll, pull up to the Waffle House in Austin and he doesn't put his mask on. He had it, but he didn't put it on. He just put his hoodie up. He's like, well, let's just go in, just act normal. So we go in. We <laughs> act like you're not with Ye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sl slide into a booth. And um, this is one of my favorite parts is he pulls up the menu. The waitress comes over. She recognizes who he is. And she's like, oh, my God. And he's like trying to get her to quiet down. And, and he says, hey, do you guys have wings? 
And <laughs> I, I, I loved that because I was I, now I don't know if Ye's ever been to a Waffle House or if he's been to Waffle Houses and gotten wings upon request or what, because I've never seen him on the menu. Right. So um, I think they only have breakfast food, but I yeah. mean, why not ask? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, I, I mean, he wanted wings. I mean, you know what? The man's a creator. So so he asked for wings. But then about like 90 seconds passed and people in the restaurant were like already knew yay is there and i think he was doing the math in his head like how soon until there's a ton of people at the waffle house in austin it gets out on social that i'm here so he just looked up and he's like all right guys this is a bad idea let's get out of here so how does he go how does he go anywhere then because that you would think that would happen anywhere yeah so when we get to the hotel where he was staying he puts on the balenciaga mask (laughs) <laughs> and walks in, right? And so, I mean, so from that standpoint, it's like, well, we don't know who this guy is, but, and that's how he checked into the hotel and whatnot. With the Balenciaga mask? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's when I first saw that mask and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so, um, yeah, yeah. So he wore that in the, in the hotel and the, um, in the lobby and whatnot. And, um, ended up hanging out in his hotel room for like, I don't know, to like two 30 in the morning or something. And he was just talking about a lot of things, talking about what they were going to do on the show the next day. They were talking about some different political ideas. They were, he was talking about, um, you know, stuff that had happened to him. Uh, I mean, a lot of the different things and topics of conversation he covered on the Alex Jones show. I heard him talk about things in like, uh, a a certain form at at that point, you know, he brought up that evening that he wanted to get a net and a Yahoo or a Yoohoo to take off, to take for props for the net Yahoo thing. Did he call it a Yahoo? Is that what he called? Yeah. He said, we got to get a net, a net (laughs) Yahoo. And, um, well, that's like, is that like a, that's just some double layers there. Yeah. Net and Yahoo. Maybe it's a message. Maybe there's some layers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, but yeah, so I hung out for a couple hours and it was interesting just kind of listen to him talk. And, you know, it was, it was that experience for me that I was like, not that I thought he was crazy, but like, you know, th- people say that they're like, is he crazy? You know? And it's like, dude, no, he's not crazy. He's like, um, he's like unconstrained creative energy is the way I would put it. Like, I mean, he has lots of thoughts going on at different times. And, um, I know I felt like he can really articulate his thoughts well, but he does it in real time a lot. Like, so it's mm, like, mm-hmm. uh, my experience was that he would, it, he's like developing the thought as it's rolling out of his mouth. And like, then he's shaping right, like it. He started the sentence that he hasn't finished yet. Yeah. You know, hasn't. Yeah. And you know, I, I've done that before. I don't do it usually because, um, that's usually not going to turn out. I'm going to be misunderstood <laughs> or whatever. Um, but the other thing that really occurred to me is like, you know, he he put out a video where he said, you know, I was a billionaire. Four days later, I couldn't use Apple Pay. That experience, I think, really impacted him in a big way as far as recognizing this huge problem of the right. the power structure being able to shut people down for what, you know, in his opinion, is just free speech, right? Even if you're one of the most famous, richest people on the planet, probably, but definitely in the United States. Yeah, and so... On the other hand, it's like, well, of course he's going to find friends with a guy like Nick Fuentes, who's been debanked, mm-hmm. deplatformed, all for saying the wrong things, right? Ali Alexander, which he, he'd known Ali for a while. But like, some people are like, how did this happen? It's like, dude, 
once you get canceled, once you're deplatformed, once you see this thing happening or the Department of Justice, the FBI coming after you because you film a documentary, whatever, it's like you start to say, hey, wait a minute, like, who are my people? And my people right. are the ones who are in the same boat with me, right? And so it's not even about ideology at any point at that point, because it's about like, all right, look, here we're the ones being disenfranchised from society. Yeah. So it all maybe we said different things to to get to that point, but now we're now we're the disenfranchised. So who who else can you team up with at that point? Yeah, yeah, no. exactly. I mean, it's like I have a live uh we have a uh podcast called Cancel Proof and we stream it on cozy.tv, which is the platform Nick Fuentes set up. Well, it's like, yeah, well, my YouTube got shut down and people are like, well, why don't you go to Rumble? It's like, well, I can go to Rumble too, but like I've, I'm welcome over here. And it's like, I have no issues whatsoever. I know I'll never be taken down there. And so it's like, th so that that's what happens here. And, and what I think is so interesting about what Ye is doing now is I think he he's sort of being a, a free speech martyr in some ways. Like he's throwing himself on the fire. He's going headlong into sacred narrative and saying, what are the things I can't say? Okay, cool. Let's mm -hmm. do that. And um, at the same time, um, I, I think it's possible that he could like break that whole distinction where it's like, look, he says all the things nobody can say. And it's like, now it takes a lot of things and puts that beneath it. It's like, well, I, I, hey, at least I didn't say what Ye said, right? I mean, uh, on one hand, it's almost like a forming a protective layer over everybody else. You're <laughs> yeah. like, well, look, maybe I have these crazy ideas, but I, I don't even say things. I don't say I love Hitler or anything. So yeah, and, and you know, it's it's also interesting just to go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Is you know, I was live. In, I was live in studio. Well, let me get to studio real quick. So the next day I pick him up and we drive to the studio and um, he was not wearing his mask during the car ride over there. Um, but um, almost to the studio, he's like, hey, we got to stop and get a net. So we pull off at a sports sporting goods store. I go in. I bought four nets. You know, we picked one of them. It's the one he used on uh, on the show. You just bought four to make to see because you didn't know which one he'd like. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he wanted us. He wanted us to buy five, and I, well, I was like, "Oh, we got four. Like, no, I, got, I got limits, dude. I don't buy five nets for for random random strangers." Yeah, so Maybe. so we roll in there, we get that, and and then we go over to the the studio. And what's interesting is he put his mask on, and when he went and met Alex Jones out front, he had his mask on. Like Jones, <laughs> actually, I think only one for like a split second actually saw Ye's face. Because he wore the mask the entire time and nobody knew he was going to do that. That was a surprise for everybody, all of us. We just didn't think that's what was going to happen. And <laughs> what's interesting is it's like, this is where I get into yay genius land. And I agree with these people who say he is, who have more experience with him, is that, you know, by wearing the mask, he like turned the whole thing into performance art and like meme magic and like... Mm -hmm there was just something that happened as a result of that. Granted, a lot of people were like, oh, he is crazy and everything, but it's like, no. But those, those people would say that with the mask off. Yeah, too. exactly. And so, and I noticed he did another interview, uh, Gavin McGinnis show he went on, he wore the mask. And so it's like, yeah. now it's sort of like, and in a way- This is this canceled character almost. This is canceled, yay. Yeah. That's the kind of the way I see it. Yeah, and so- um, you know, and it's interesting. I, I encourage people to go back and actually listen to that whole show. It's three and a half hours. Who's got time for that? We'll put it on one and a half speed. But it's interesting because when you start to see how these thoughts start rolling out for him, 
like the first time he says the, you know, I like Hitler line, when he says that, he's actually responding to Alex Jones. Jones goes on a rant about how Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I love Hitler and didn't get canceled Mm -hmm. because back in this bodybuilding days, early career, he had nice things to say about Germany, the Nazis and Hitler. Right. And it's literally right after he says that, that Ye's like, I like Hitler. Like, I actually think his initial response of that was as a re- was him sort of being like, oh, I'm going to say the thing Arnold Schwarzenegger has said and not gotten canceled for. I'm going to say right. that. Watch. And um, and so there's and I'm not I'm not here defending or say, like I don't have to defend. Yeah. It's, or, it's your interpretation of yeah. events, you know? Yeah, uh, that I'm just I, 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 re- I was there live and then I rewatched the events and I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, there's really more going on here than the sound bites lead people to believe. And so I think, um, I think what he's doing is very interesting. I think that it is significant that, you know, um, you know, I, we had the film, the most canceled man in America that got me banned from freedom fest, kicked out of the Anthem film festival, um, because it showed Nick Fuentes in too good of a light. And I remember telling people at that time, Hey, listen, this is a very significant political figure here who, you guys shouldn't just don't give him a platform. You got to ignore him. You got to cancel him. I'm like, guys, that's a mistake. And I feel a little vindicated in that now because I'm like, look what's happened. It's like, he's now elevated to rolling with like one of the most famous, you know, musicians and one, you know, of all time. And he's part of his like political entourage. And so I think that's an interesting set of developments. I like, I like to think about the implications of that. Like, what is this sort of cadre of canceled people who have the ability to get out there and draw people into their message? Now, what does that look like? You know, prior to Yay, it's different. And some people want to write Yay off and be like, well, yeah, now he's done or whatever. It's like, I do not think that is the case, folks. So um, very interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, 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 that was my, <laughs> my journey with that experience here. So, well, you did mention it there, um, a little bit, the movie, the most canceled man in America. So, you know, I think a lot of people that have heard of Nick Fuentes haven't, don't really know much about who he is. I didn't know much about who, who he is. I still don't know a lot about who he is, but, but that's really, none of that is really even the point of, of that documentary. The doc, the documentary is about his actual canceling. And what I find so interesting about it is that you do this documentary about just the fact that someone can be canceled from banking, from airlines, from all this stuff for saying whatever, who cares what he said, what he says, you know, it's not even the point. And then you make this documentary about, about how bad these, this is um, and sell it to it, not sell it, but, you know, get the permission to show it to at a bunch of different Liberty organizations who should be the most receptive to that message, who should be the most not caring who it was or what they said, they got yeah. canceled like that. And then you start getting canceled from these events. So maybe you can detail a little bit more about what, how that started happening. I feel like I saw you say something on when you were on the plane to freedom fest or maybe it was earlier, but when did you start becoming aware that some of these events were actually canceling, not just the movie, they were canceling you. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting because um, it, it really developed in it, it developed through a series of of missteps, frankly, on on Freedom Fest part. And I, I don't want to go into the boring details, but but the film was accepted into the to film festival. They were excited to show it. They were so excited about it that when they pushed an email out to the email list, like it was a thumbnail on the email. 
And what they did was they made the mistake of saying that Nick was going to be there to speak on a panel after the film, which Nick hadn't confirmed, but I had suggested could be interesting. Cause I'm like, you know, Hey, libertarians can ask him whatever in an open forum there. And he can talk about his experience. And for those who don't know, the federal government seized a half million dollars from his account. They put him on a no fly list, you know, TSA. I'm pretty impressed. He made a half million dollars. What's yeah, that? Yeah. 22? Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, a little bit of context to that too. Like there's a, a pretty strong theory that the reason they seized that money was because it came through a, a he got a Bitcoin donation from this this guy from Europe who donated a bunch of Bitcoin to some different like quote unquote far right or people or organizations. And the government traced it and identified it. This was during the stop the steal time. And so what they did was they they couldn't seize the Bitcoin, right? But they could seize real assets equivalent in value of the Bitcoin from Nick. And so uh, now, th part of this is speculation, but there's enough because we don't get all of the information you need to make this because the government doesn't tell you why they do it. They just freaking seize your account. But the amounts and how they have and the timing of it and some things that happened around this Bitcoin donation, you know, because they're like tracking it down because it's terrorist donation because it's going towards the stop the steal and the January 6th stuff. And so the other thing that's interesting is that this is actually a, 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 a scenario in which Though the federal government didn't seize Bitcoin, well, what if they can just seize your real assets that are the equivalent of Bitcoin that you have? What's the freaking difference, right? So that that is the story that drew me in with Nick because I was like, I don't care what he believes. Like, I think you should be charged with a crime before you're put on the no-fly list by the Department of Homeland Security, and um, you know, see, have your money seized from you. And so that was the nature of the story. A lot of people said you know, hey, we're on my side. It, they should show it. Freedom Fest said no. They were pressured by some big libertarian organizations to get rid of it. Get rid of it. At least that's the information I got from Freedom Fest. And that led to a cascade of, of, of events where ultimately I was ended up being put on a uh, do not book list in Vegas during Freedom Fest. Um, and we did a counter screening of Nick's doc at a, somewhere else in Vegas. We had like 200 people at the event. It was it was great. We got to show it. You know, all of that happened. Uh, but yeah, it did cause me some grief with um, some libertarian organizations, people that I'm really good friends with, who they just couldn't understand how I could make something that about Nick that I didn't then go and dun dun dun. Here's here's all of his sound bites where he denies the Holocaust and uh, you know and oh here's where he you know we didn't do any of that. We didn't editorialize. We were like. Here's Nick in his own words. Here's people in the America First movement in their own words talking about why they're doing what they're doing, what they believe. And, you know, I, I stand behind the project. You can watch it for free probably right now at My Movies Plus, the most canceled man in America. Uh, we've got it for free for a, a limited time. Probably when this airs, it'll still be free. And um, yeah, and uh, so... So yeah, that, that caused me some grief and it, it's interesting too. I'll just add this, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTuber, Ethan, Ethan Klein. He's like a, he's a, he's a big YouTuber. He's a leftist or whatever, but he got demonetized on a, on a platform because he played a, a news clip of Nick Fuentes for too long without, um, like 
saying negative things. Yes. That's literally why I got demonetized. And he's like a total leftist. He hates Nick Fuentes. And he's like, this is crazy. And it's like, yeah, well, that's the same kind of, uh, that's the same thing that really led me to get canceled from Freedom Fest is that we didn't give enough screen time to like disparaging Nick in it. And I'm just like, you know, that's not interesting to me. Um, so, uh, you know, I've come to know Nick. I consider Nick a friend. Like, I don't consider myself like a friggin', you know, hat wearing America first guy, but I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, I consider the guys in the America first movement, my friends. I don't think that they're white supremacists. I, uh, definitely think they're Christian nationalists and that means something. And you can take issue with that if you want. And Nick talks about white identity issues. And my personal opinion is if identity politics is a thing, then any identity politics is a thing, right? So whatever interest group you are and whatever identity politics group you are, you know, if we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the, the black and the women and the trans and the whatever, it's like, we can talk about the white stuff too. And so, um, and then the, the last thing is, is that I just think that at the end of the day, these types of phrases like anti-Semite, white supremacist, racist, misogynist, homophobe, all of that, those are just labels used to attach to somebody to get people to disregard them and to say, oh, that guy's of this. Oh, then I don't have to engage in a single idea. And the cancellation of people based on these labels put on people externally. You know, I think it's that's. I think it's so uninteresting. And it's like so when I see a label like that attached to somebody as a journalist, as a documentarian, I'm like, oh, these are the stories I want to check out because these are the ones that are not getting told. People are not seeing what's happening here, and that's that's what I feel like I'm up to in all of this. One thing I just wanted to dig into a little further on that, like, do you have any idea, like the 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 chain of custody or like the like the legality of? I, I get canceling your movie from a venue, like I don't agree with it, but I get how a private venue can decide I'm I'm not going to have this movie there for whatever reason or whatever, and say we don't want to run it. But you were canceled from just hotel rooms. Like, how does that, first yeah. of all, like, how does that happen? Like, how, who is in a position to tell a hotel manager who's probably not even like thinking about politics or whatever's going on in their hotel that you need to cancel this person from a hotel room? And how is that even legal? I guess hotels are private entities who can cancel yeah. rooms if they want. I guess that's probably is legal in that sense. But like, how, do you have any sense of how that all happened? Yeah, I did get to the bottom of this. And by the way, uh, to anybody wondering, you know, my uh, I actually have nothing but love for Freedom Fest uh, now in my heart because this is the past. And, um, you know, I still really I still really uh, as people really like the people who run it and and like a lot of the work that they do. And so this isn't me just trying to rehash some like, you know, thing, you know, uh, but I do think this is important. Okay. And so when, when we realized, um, that the film was getting canceled, I had reached out to freedom fest and I said, Hey, I understand you're not going to show my film, but I still want to attend the event. Like a um, normal person. Can who I buys do a that? And, and goes like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to buy a ticket. Cause when my film was in the thing, I mm. didn't have to buy a ticket. I got a free ticket. Now they kicked me out. I was like, well, I do want to buy a ticket. Are you guys down? I'm not going to cause any trouble. Like, I'm just going to go there to see my friends, you know? And they're like, yeah, no problem. So I was like a month before the event. So I had my ticket. I'm rolling into town and, um, in the cab ride on the way there. Well, a week before the event, my room at the hotel that freedom fest was being hosted in 
that was canceled. They were like, hey, we just can't have you, blah, blah, blah. I got no reason. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. Well, then I booked one at the Venetian, which is across the street, owned by a different hotel chain. And on my way from the airport to the Venetian, I get a call from the Venetian that they're not going to honor our our hotel reservation. And I'm like, okay, this is getting really weird. We ended up digging into it at the Venetian. We found out we were on a do not book list. And then so um, that's a thing. I was I like, there was a I don't do know not how fly this list. Now there's a do not book list. Yeah. And so I was like, how did this happen? And then, and then uh, there was a moment where I was at freedom fest. I was walking into the venue and three security guards came and they were going to escort me out. And they made a call to somebody and the, whoever they talked to said, oh, no, he's fine. Let him in. But I found out from there that like they were watching me from the closed circuit monitors inside the hotel. And so I'm like, how has this happened? How am I? I'm on a do not book list. And also I'm a ticket holder to this event, but I'm being watched by the cameras and security's coming thinking I'm a, a problem. I couldn't get any straight answer from anyone until... The last day I was there, I'm like, look, I'm just going to go talk to the head of security at the Mirage because I want to figure out, can I ever book right. here again? Is this like a one-time thing? Like I come to Vegas, I want to know. So I go talk to the head of security. He's very nice to me. He's like, hey, he's like, yeah, I just want to let you know, we don't have any problem with you. He said, um, but you know, we have this client and you know they're paying a lot of money. And uh, yeah, they provided us a list of names and photographs of some people that, you know, they thought might cause some trouble. And I was on that. I can't tell you all who was on it because I didn't see the list, but the guy told me it was probably my filmmaking partner, Paul. Nick Fuentes was probably on there, you know. Um, and so, but like, I, you know, I was put on that list by somebody internally at Freedom Fest, even though I had had a conversation with them, even though I had 10 years of life of being, you know, I judged the festival the year before, oh, what a you know, fall. they what know a who I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now they're putting the me hotel. on a watch list of the hotel and, and it all made, then it all made sense because I realized, Hey, the, the hotel, I think it was the Mirage we were at. I forget, but I was thinking, they can't. They ha they would have a hard time escorting you off the property if you're if you have a reservation mm -hmm. there. So they canceled my reservation in order that they would be able to more easily get rid of me if they needed to. And then they just shared the list with some neighboring hotels, like a professional courtesy, right? For because for all they know, you're a real troublemaker. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, that's the story. And, you know, th th there are some people that spread a lot of bullshit about me who didn't know this story. Um, and it's like, listen, I don't know where this falls on your whole spectrum of liberty and libertarian. And it's a it's a private <laughs> hotel, bro, or whatever. But like, for me, there was just a little bit of like, uh, I, I had to fight a little bit for my own integrity. And I wasn't getting straight answers. And when I found out that I was put on that list by somebody, that was a that that's a that was a significant you don't know the person. You, know, you just know it was, it was Freedom Fest, right? Or someone from Freedom Fest. Yeah, somebody somebody who the hotel said was the client. <laughs> so somebody like in that movie. organization gave them a list. Yeah, I know, right? And you know, hey, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. there, right? Like I get it. Um, so, but that all of that happened. Because we decided we we're going to make this short film about Nick Fuentes, right? 
And so for me, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you know, how weird can this get, you know? And, and during this whole time, you know, the Department of Justice, the FBI was trying to get our footage from January 6th. And, you know, and so most, I, I think a lot of people would have stopped somewhere along the way and been like, dude, I'm just going to friggin' put this project on ice, you know, whatever. I'm not going to pursue this stuff. But that's, that for me is not the answer. The answer is, I want to be more fearless about this kind of stuff. I want to take a, you know, take steps to continue to be bold, to go out there and be like, look, I don't care if they cancel me. I, I might lose some friends in the process because I'm going to rub shoulders with, you know, now that I'm hanging out with yay, it's like, well, he's, he loves Hitler. Okay. Well, I must love Hitler. I mean, yeah, you're, you know, you're one separate and, and from just, loving Hitler now. So <laughs> I know. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, I have, I have no room for guilt by association in my life. Like I don't cut people out and disavow people who I disagree with on anything. Like I think, people are real human beings. I think we all go through processes of change. I think we all um, are open to the truth. I think that we all are open to having our, our biases challenged and won over through, you know, um, all sorts of dialogue and experience. And so that's how, that's what I'm up to. Like, I'm like, I'm interested in meeting real human beings and going through the real human experience together and seeing what it means for us to join arms and linking up to try to have more freedom and human flourishing for all. And I know that that's not going to happen by me just hanging out in my ghetto of people that only that believe in exact, you know, analysis of the non-aggression principle right, right. that I have. Well, it sounds like a better way to be than just running around canceling people to me. So I, I think you're, I think you're on the right track, Jason. Uh, it's been awesome talking to you. I think you're going to stick around, hop into the smoke filled room with me, get a little weird, but First, yes. I just want to make sure yes. uh, you you have a lot to plug. You have a lot going on. Movies, docuseries. Feel free to just give one more plug on everything where people can find everything. Because I know there's a uh, obviously with the subject matter, you're not you're not on a you're not on NBC here. You're not on a Netflix even. You got to go on some uh, somewhat more obscure platforms yeah. to find the stuff. Yeah, go to My Movies Plus is the website. You can also get the Movies Plus app on Roku and on your phone. These guys are dedicated to free speech. They'll put the They'll put the left wing Jan six movie and the QAnon one on there. You know, they really want the people to decide they've been a home for the projects we're doing. You can probably see one, if not both of these films for free right now, because we are doing some promotion right now uh, around January 6th. And we're just trying to draw attention to it. And then if you want to connect with me, uh, you know what? The best place to do that is is go check out my stream at cozy.tv, the cancel proof podcast. And uh, but I'm uh, still currently banned from all major social media platforms, essentially. So, uh, yeah, that's where you find me, man. And uh, yeah. And then if you want to sign up for our email list on uh, the Q sent me movie, go to Q sent me dot com. And we do give people alerts on new developments and the when we drop a new episode. All right, Jason. Well, one place you'll never be canceled from. That's right here. The Mark Claire show. You're, you're, all, you're always welcome. You know, nice. once you buy a man, some tacos, margaritas and socks, you know, it's a bond for life. So it's a <laughs> bit of pleasure, Jason. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming on my show. Yeah, man. Anytime. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Rink. And as always, the conversation did not end there. We continued it. We hopped over into the smoke-filled room where we dug a little bit further into Jason's own personal thoughts about, I'm afraid to even say it. Should I even say it? Yeah, 
the election that occurred in 2020. I can say that. This is the test. This is a test. Boop, boop, boop. This episode is a test of the YouTube censoring system. That's right, because Jason has a, a bit of a reputation for being canceled, as we discussed in the show, from everywhere, from hotels, from podcasts, from YouTube streaming services, YouTube channels. Anytime he appears on a show, he tends to get them a strike. So I'm taking a little risk. I am putting this up on YouTube, but I have other platforms. Uh, so you'll definitely find it on Rumble, on Odyssey, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see. We'll see if Jason if Jason gets me a strike. I got a fresh channel, so I'm ready to roll the dice. We'll see what happens. Uh, that being said, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I do have a two-pound bag of Fox & Sons coffee to give away. This is an awesome giveaway because the coffee's awesome. A two-pound bag. I don't know. Maybe if you're not me, it would last longer. For me, it lasts a month, but that's because I, I drink a lot of this coffee, like probably way too much because it's just that good. Now, I have a little system here. I've assigned everybody that sent me an Apple podcast review, a screenshot, sent me that to markclareshow at gmail.com where you can send me your thoughts on anything. They sent me those reviews. I put them in a list. The list assigns a number to them. And then I have a random sequence generator that's going to tell me that number. And that's how we're going to do this. And you can't really see my screen. I guess I could try to share it, but that sounds like too much work. So you're just going to have to trust me here. I don't know what my what benefit I would, I would have to rigging rigging this, uh, much, much like the 2020 election, uh, rigging this event of, of who's going to get this free two-pan bag from Fox Sun. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to hop over to my random sequence generator. I'm going to hit generate that sequence. And the number at the top is the number of the person on my spreadsheet that I'm going to send this back to. So let's see, here we go, live and in person. It is number two, number two. And who is number two? Let's head to my spreadsheet. This is just in the order that they came in. So, you know, there's no bias here. Number two is Clay, my man, Clay. Congratulations, Clay. You are getting a two pound bag of Fox and Sons coffee sent directly to your address, which I will have to get from you. Or no, I probably have it on Patreon. I don't know. But either way, Clay, I'm not going to say your net last name in case you don't want to be outed. But Clay is a good dude, great supporter of the show, and I'm happy to be sending him now a bag of coffee. Well, I'm not going to send it. Stephen Fox is going to send it, the, the proprietor of the excellent Fox & Sons coffee. Uh, that being said, don't forget to use discount code MCS over at foxandsons.com. And of course, Again, like I mentioned, this conversation continued. We talked about the U.S. election, the 2020 election, Jason's personal thoughts on it, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're a patron of the show, not only do you have that sitting there for you, and by, by patron, I mean Patreon, Subscribestar, Rockfin, you got the smoke-filled room with Jason Drink, you also have early access to my interview with author of I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, Tucker Max, a guy I think many of us, at least for me when I was in my 20s, was just like the greatest thing ever. He wrote some hilarious books about his drunken antics, but he's really changed a lot over the years, and his journey is what we focus on in next week's episode, but it's available right now if you are a subscriber of the show. So head over. You can find the show on Rockfin, Patreon, Subscribestar. I don't care how you do it, but you'll get early access to that episode as well as the latest edition of Mark's Monthly Musings, which I just posted, in which I recap the prior month, give some of my thoughts on, on some things going on in my life, things I'm reading, things I'm watching, etc. So you can enjoy all of that. All the links, all the links you could ever imagine are all available at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. That's all I've got, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me, for continuing on this journey with me here in 2023 and well, well beyond. Till next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>